What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome back to the Roster Watch Podcast. This is Alex Dunlap. Today, I am joined by Greg Gabriel. Uh, Greg is an NFL evaluator, a consultant, and a writer. He worked in the NFL for over 30 years, dating back to the early 1980s, including nearly a decade uh, he spent from 2001 until 2010 as the college scouting director for the Chicago Bears. We talk about his time there. We talk about uh, how... He views himself as a personality on Twitter, um, especially on draft Twitter, where he's definitely viewed as being fairly polarizing. Um, <laughs> we talk about uh, what, how the combine has changed, uh, different scouting thresholds, different scouting methods. Um, we talked about some of the new running backs in the, coming in the 2019 class, as well as some of the wide receivers, and just a whole lot more. So it's a really wide-ranging conversation. I, I kept him on longer than I promised him, so I had to cut it a little bit short at the end. But I think you'll really enjoy the conversation um, with Greg Gabriel. You can find him on Twitter at Greg Gabe. You can find his work at Pro Football Weekly, and he also uh, does work for 670 The Score there in Chicago. So make sure and give him a follow also on, on Twitter. That is at Greg Gabe. You can support the Roster Watch podcast and get access to multiple bonus podcasts per week featuring me, Byron Lambert, and or the Trash Man, as well as other great guests with a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. It is entirely due to listeners like you that all of this is possible, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, on to my conversation with the man, Greg Gabriel. This is Aaron Donald, and you're listening to Roster Watch. So you heard it coming in. This is a dude that I've wanted to get on the podcast for a super long time. You've definitely seen him on Twitter. Uh, as mentioned in the intro, you can find him there uh, at Greg Gabe. He is Greg Gabriel, the former college scouting director for the Chicago Bears and a veteran scout of the National Football League dating back to the early 80s. Greg Gabriel, what the hell's going on, brother? Not much, just getting ready for uh, the draft like usual this time of the year. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Our listeners, you know, won't know that you're kind of you're you're laid up a little bit with an injury right now, and I've been trying to get you on for a while, and I certainly appreciate you taking some time and, and and wish you the best as far as getting back to health because I know that this is your your busiest time of the year and before we kind of get into some of the prospects, because I certainly want to ask you about all these guys, and before we get into your history, because I want to ask you about that stuff too. The 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 question that I've the question that I've been dying to ask you is, and I kind of asked you this whenever we were talking on on DMs on 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 Twitter. But do you do you consider yourself to be a bit of a polarizing figure as far as in the draft Twitter community? No, I, you know I I. I... <laughs> I tweet what I know to be true, and I don't make up stuff. And, and you know, I, I don't want to knock guys that think they're experts, but a lot of them aren't, and they just make stuff up. They even write it, put it in print, <laughs> and it's totally made up. And, and unless you really have have been in the league, and there's a few that have. Dan Shanka from our lands spent a long time in the league. Lewis Riddick spent a long time in the league, and I worked with, with Lewis at Philadelphia. Um, move six, Daniel Jeremiah worked in the league. You know, when, when you've worked in the league, you know exactly how the process works. What goes on, what doesn't go on. And what, what kind of cracks me up this time of the year is, you know, people tweet out, well, Sources from a team, a GM told me this. Or, no, they didn't tell you anything because they don't say anything. It's it's not to their advantage to say something. And if they do say something, ninety percent of the time it's a lie because you know this is a very competitive situation. And 
you know, being that I was in the decision-making uh, position for a little over nine years, and actually more than that because I was director of player development for the for the Giants for five years previous to going to the Bears, the there's times you will put out stuff with people people in the media, but you put it out for a purpose. And again, a lot of times it's not true and it's there just for a particular purpose. And if you can get somebody to go along with you, but some of this other stuff that people put out, I'm sorry, it's not true. It's, it's, it's made up stuff. And if they don't like me saying it too bad. Well, I just, I, yeah. And, and to me, I always find it so amusing. The different, um, the different, not spats, but just the, the different uh, en- engagements that you you can come into on Twitter because it's 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 so so clear to me that whenever I'm I'm watching these things unfold that you're coming from this from the angle of like a guy who is you know pretty plugged in knows a lot of these guys who are even making some of these decisions somebody who's been in that chair before does it like how do you feel that the advent of just maybe even just like I mean, dude, you've been doing this since even before the internet. And I, I, I mean, I have questions about, I have all kinds of questions about that. I have questions about how you guys even grinded so much film without it totally killing your eyes whenever just you look back at how film used to look and it's so grainy and bad and everything. And I, I, I want to ask about that. But do, do you, do, how is the internet and Twitter and just basically giving voices to people who don't necessarily have to have the credentials to, um, make these sorts of evaluations or make these sort of statements about players. How has that sort of changed the dynamic around the draft as far as, you know, what, what, what draft Twitter's done as far as all the math people that have come in and, and asserted their assumptions about what the analytics mean as far as these players, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it, it it's obviously made the draft what it is. And, you know, part of that is, you know, everybody wants to be a Mel Kuyper, and I know Mel very well. I know Mel since he first started with ESPN back in the early 80s, and um, and know him personally, and he's been a friend of mine uh, for that long. And if you notice, and I don't want to get off track here, but if you notice, do you ever see Mel saying, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that? And he's got more connections than anybody. You know, as far as the, the draft media goes. And that's because he started developing those connections with guys who were young scouts in, in the eighties. And I met him through Ernie, of course, he was a former general manager and was uh, a general manager. Part of the time I was with the giants after George Young retired and Ernie was, was the uh, general manager of the Cleveland Browns at the time. And Cleveland used to scrimmage the Buffalo bills all the time. It was uh, like, one week into camp, they had a rookie scrimmage, and they held it halfway between Buffalo and Cleveland at Edinburgh State, which was a Pennsylvania Division II school, and about equal distance between the, the two camps. And um, Ernie, who was from Baltimore, where Mel's from, he brought um, Mel with him to that scrimmage, and we ended up sitting together and talking. So that's how I met him. That goes, it, the, the relationship goes goes way back. And he's developed a, a lot of ties with people. He's um, very good at what he does. You don't always have to agree with him. In, in, in scouting in general, there is seldom agreement in a scouting room. And I could go off on that tangent for you know another hour if I wanted, <laughs> if I wanted to. You have differences of opinion on players. Because one guy says this and another guy says that, it doesn't make either one right. It's a difference of opinion. And what a scouting director and a general manager do is they put all these opinions together and they try to come up with some sort of consensus in the final break. But um, but getting back to Mel, again, you don't don't see him reaching out saying, you know, with this outlandish stuff and and some of these predictions, he, he saves some of it for TV and he gets good information come draft day. Is he right all the time? No. Because the same reason is what I've been saying. People don't want to say what they're going to do because it's such a competitive business and you can trust very, very few people. So knowing that, why would, there's one draft naked. I'm not going to mention his name. Two years in a row, he wrote the exact same thing, that after he did a mock draft, he said a general manager called him up and told him to take a certain guy out that he wasn't going at it. 
There's no GM in the league that could care less what is what's in a mock draft. Okay, it doesn't happen. Okay, I mean, and it's foolish to even think that. But for the average draft fan that you're feeding this bullshit to, and I hope you can use that word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, they don't they don't know that, so they believe it. I I just and just sticking on this for just one more quick second before I, I want to just talk some scouting process and then actually some of these players with you as as well. But I, I know personally that in my career doing this, I've um, I've been going to the Senior Bowl and you know the Combine and all this stuff for the last what the last the last nine years, which is clearly nothing close to what you know how how long you've been going let, let me interrupt you just for a second yeah. and and because you mentioned the combine yeah to me and and i understand why you want to go to the combine because you know you, you at least you get a chance to talk to some of the players during that right five six seven minute interview period or whatever it is q a period they have but you can't watch the damn workouts mm-hmm. and that in itself is ludicrous and and i'll tell you why you can't watch the workouts and this goes back to when we used to be in the old RCA dome. And there weren't that many boxes there. Everybody from the league was sitting in that lower bowl watching the workouts. And the reason the media wasn't allowed in was because they didn't want anybody from the media bothering any team personnel during the, the course of the workout so they could concentrate on what they were watching. So, Media basically was banned, and really until recent years, it wasn't a you know big media event. I was at the very first combine. I was at the first thirty combines. So, and the first one was at Arizona State outdoors. Now, how many media were there? None. I mean, it just it was outdoors in January nineteen eighty five at Arizona State. The following year was at um, the Superdome in New Orleans following Super Bowl twenty one, literally the week after Super Bowl twenty one or Super Bowl twenty, excuse me. And then the next year following Super Bowl twenty one, it went to Indianapolis. So that was nineteen eighty seven and it's been in Indy ever since. But since they they built the current uh dome that the, um what's it called Lucas Oil, Oil Field or whatever, they um Every team has a box now. Right. And very few people, except for the timing of a 40, sit in the stands to watch the work. I think some do, but no decision makers do. Or if they do, it's very for a very short period of time. But they're all up in boxes where, you know, they're with their own people from their own club. And, you know, if they have to talk to somebody, they go out in, in the hall and talk to, a, say, a general manager from, from another club or whatever. Um, but there is no possible way that media can get up into that box area and disrupt what a decision maker or a scout or whatever is trying to do. So to have them not be in the combine bowl and let them watch in a designated area is totally absurd on the league's part. And, and why they, you know, and now they let fans in every day. They let fans in, it's on TV, but media can't go in. Which I, is, you know, yeah. I, I will say this, I, crazy, and, and and I do I do agree with almost everything that you said. I will correct one thing: is that media can go in. Um, I've been able to go into the last nine, at least for the wide receiver drills and the quarterback right, drills. They, they let you, yeah, but you're still right. not watching the whole thing. No, 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 no. Only the yeah, only the wide receiver on field with the quarterbacks throwing two of them, and you can only do that if you're a PFWA right. member that signs up way in advance, and only ten of us are allowed right. in procession and. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And I will say this too: uh, ever since Ted Thompson retired, there are no GMs who sit down there and, and take their own times anymore. <laughs> he used to sit right there on the forty. I think he was well, the last. No, I, of the, I, I, he was the last he of them. And I, I used to sit at the forty-two. I didn't have my watch out. The guy doing the timing because and and that's it. it and it's kind of crazy too because that goes back. You know, we're, we're kind of getting off track here, but it's interesting stuff. Is that. You know, having each team draws a row. So, you, you know, you might be in the 10th row one year and the 28th row the next year at, at the end of the 40. You just never know. But on the field, there's two guys doing hand times and there's an electronic laser time. And the laser time is 100% totally accurate. And the guys doing the handheld times 
are literally on the line. They have a better view than anybody else, anybody even in the stands, because if just if, if you take the times, and for years and years, I sat in the stands, took times, and the times generally in the stands are slower than what you get on the field, and a lot of it has to do with just reaction time. You know, the angle where you are, where you're sitting versus the start point versus the end point. So, you know, why, why they sit there and do it? It's tradition more than anything else because the most accurate times you're getting are the ones on the field and what's more accurate than a laser time. And the official times that you get, the ones you see uh, on the NFL network and stuff, those are coming from the laser times, which are exact. And now if you go compare them with a, uh, a pro day time, the pro day times are handheld times and you get it, you know, it's kind of similar to a, um, you know, the old combine where you got a bunch of guys standing at the end of the 40 getting times. Well, if you're lucky to be the first guy in line and get the best view, when the guy comes across the 40 line, you might have a real accurate time, but what if you're the eighth or ninth guy back in the line? Can you can you say your time is accurate? No, you can't. But that's what happens when you when you get to a pro day. So there's usually a variance of times. You know, you might say see a guy ran oh so and so ran a four four six in his pro day. Well, yeah, but the variance of times might have been four four three to four five one. And so now you're guessing, and 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 when you're guessing like that, you try to go with averages just so you can be close. Did you guys used to do at the Combine the way they do at the Pro Days where the scouts all get together, huddle up in the middle of the field, and try to come to some sort of consensus? No. No? no. And, Everybody and, just and had the their own times? Do that, yeah, everybody just kept their own times. But the reason that they they do the thing at, at, the, um, at the Pro Days, and I was part of that, and then uh, another thing, have you heard of APT? No, I don't know what that is. Okay, APT stands for Associated Association of Professional Teams, and it was actually started by um, Kansas City. And this goes way back, probably goes back to the early 2000s, right after I started in um, in Chicago. And the combine has been great. You know, combine used to be the week after the Super Bowl, and you know now it's like three weeks after the Super Bowl, and You've got then a period of time, generally about a four-week period of time, where you've got all these schools having pro days. And it's impossible to send somebody to every pro day. So what teams have done is that they got together and each team, like I live in Chicago, so we got assigned a certain amount of schools that we had to go to, Northern Illinois, Illinois, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Notre Dame, uh, you know, schools like that. It might Mm -hmm. be seven, eight schools. You were responsible to send a scout to those pro days to make sure you got all the measurements, all the times, and that stuff got sent out to all the other teams. And so they had, so, so the teams had stuff to, in, in case they didn't go. And then if you, Every pro day is taped. So, and, and then if you wanted to see it because you couldn't be there, you just order the tape. And, you know, generally, you know, the schools used to, I don't know what the, the going rate is now. It used to be about 100 bucks that they charge you. Uh, and they'd send, you'd have the tape within a, you know, couple of days of the pro day. Now, the reason that they started sharing times then was the same thing because, you know, you have, might have only one guy there from a team and he could be the guy that's at the start of the 40 starting the thing off. So how is he supposed to get the time? Well, you know, everybody works together. Most scouts are all friends with each other. And so you just get together and with all the measurable stuff, and especially now when you're doing like the, the three cone and the 20 shuttle and the long jump and the vertical jump, well, all this stuff's going on at once. Right. And you can get it done a lot faster if you put a couple scouts at one station, a couple other scouts at another station, a couple other scouts at another station. They time it, and then you share everything at the end. And usually the 40 is the last thing you do in that stuff, or, the, or they do the 40 and then they do the two shuttles. You get done with the 40 and the two shuttles, that's when you, um, you, know, you just compare the times so you have something – is it totally accurate? That's nah, close, but then you know you take it 
and you average it with all the other stuff you got, and then you come up with a, you know, a kind of a range. You know, go go back to a track sprinter. How many track sprinters run the same time every time they run the hundred meters? Besides none. You know, they they run they run a range of times. Right. So then you get an idea of what you know. You can't conclusively say that a guy's a, you know, he might have run a four three eight at the combine, but is he a four three eight every time? No. Right. And and also, man, I have a million I have a million questions for you, Greg. And I don't know how I'm just I'm I'm very aware of your of your time here. I'm I'm just I'm trying to trying to think about the best use of the of the way I can get some of this information out of you for our listeners because you 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 clearly have a lot of it. But so as long as we're talking about forty times, maybe I can just um, transition a little bit into some of these players coming out this year. And 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 did you guys have like? Any like minimum thresholds as far as like little Jordan Humphrey yesterday had his pro day after he had the, just a the miserable uh, forty at the combine. I believe that is I believe the official time came in at like a four seven five or something like that uh, yesterday at the pro day. He did he did, he did not improve on on that one you know, based on based on what I had heard from around there and also my own my own personal time that I took on him. We heard about uh, Elijah Holyfield's pro day. He did not improve on on his. Uh, disastrous time from there at the combine of four seven eight. Did did, uh, did you guys ever look at these guys and say like, look, we're not going to take a we're not going to take a wide receiver that runs any slower than a four seven five, or we're not going to take a quarterback that has any hands any smaller than nine and a quarter inch? Or like, were there ever any hard and fast thresholds like that that you guys would use? Well, yeah, you're you're, you're putting a number grade on everything. So, in other words, and, and there's a height weight speed chart and and. You know, so, and, and that's for every position. So let's just, I, I'm just making this up because I don't have any of the old charts I have. Right. But let's just say, and, and six would be a number that's considered good. So six, seven, eight, nine is all positive. Five, four, three, two, one is all negative. So let's say you're six height and weight for an outside linebacker. Again, I'm just making up the number sure, for, sure. for the conversation is six, three, two, forty five. So a guy comes in and he's at the combine or his pro day and he comes in, he's uh six oh three two, which means six three and a quarter, and he's two hundred and forty six pounds. Okay, he's got six size. And then he he runs a let's just again, I'm making up the number four seven oh or four seven two is a six speed for an outside linebacker site. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he runs at four seven two and he's got then six size, six speed. So that's his size speed ratio. You follow what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. So now, but let's say he's got the six size, but he runs four, nine and four, nine might be three speed or two speed. Mm -hmm. So now he's got six size, two speed. And, you know, in a perfect world, you don't want slow guys. You want fast guys. You want athletic guys. So yeah, there is a number that, and and you and both places, you know, that I mainly worked were the Giants and the Bears for the, the bulk of my career. You know, set that six number, whatever you set that at, that was the you know theoretically one of the guys above the line on both areas, and and those guys would then be size speed guys. So um, yeah, then there's there's a threshold. You can go to corners. And I, I tweeted this out a little earlier today. There's a lot of teams, and I don't know the exact number because it can change. It depends who the coach is and what his philosophy is, et cetera, that they're not going to take a corner under five foot ten. He could have great tape. But if he's five nine and a half, they're not taking him. He's off the board. And that's because five ten is the minimum height number. And you, and you can have a length number in that too as far as as the arm length because you want to have a you got to be certain tall and have certain reach so he can play against you know the certain receivers in the nfl so you're figuring that all into the equation of you know what you want for people's traits that you want for each position and generally each team has a profile for each position so this is the guy we want guys this size, this speed, this length, et cetera, be able to jump this far. And does that mean you won't take a guy that 
doesn't fit the criteria, no, it doesn't mean that. But in, in the in the premium rounds, you damn well are going to take a guy who fits the criteria. And 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 the difference is it's going to be with with linemen, especially offensive linemen. But with offensive linemen, you're throwing out the forty and generally using the ten. So, but but unless the forty is real bad. Right, but well, generally you're you're looking at the the ten and twenty with linemen because you know they kind of fall off after they hit twenty yards. What what about as far as offensive linemen? What about the case? What about cases like Orlando Brown, who's actually kind of turned out pretty decent? I I think you know from the reviews you you, you hear from the hear from the Ravens. But like, what about whenever his combine? I forgot exactly what it was, but his bench was absolutely miserable, and so was his forty. Like, did you guys ever look at stuff like that and say, well, this guy just doesn't know how to how, how to prepare for an, for an athlete? Event. Did did that ever maybe come into consideration? Well, no, well, the tape always speaks for itself. You got to you got to use the tape, but if you use just the tape with him, he was a first round pick because the tape was really good. Yeah. But then you took in the other stuff, and he dropped down. And what what round did he go in? Third round, I think. I think he was his um, late second. I, I I forgot exactly where it was. I thought it was yeah, late second. Maybe, round, but maybe it was yeah. Third. But the, but the tape. And and don't forget, Baltimore had his dad. So I mean, you right. know, they okay. right. they they knew a little bit about him. But yeah, it hurt him because his numbers were awful. But I mean, there were people who have never been in a draft room and never worked for a club that are saying, "Oh my God, he's not going to go to the fifth or sixth round." Well, why? Number one, he's an offensive lineman, and number two, you know, the tape was outstanding. And and what what are you scouting for? If it's not you know, how does the guy play the game? And and he played the game pretty good. A little upright, yes, but you know I thought legitimately could have been a, a first round. I didn't think he was a a left tackle in the NFL. I thought he was a right tackle, even though he played on the left side. But in fairness, and and what probably biased my opinion a little bit, I got to know him pretty well. I was um, you know that. Um, all-star football challenge that ESPN has, you know, sure. Okay. Well, I was part of that last year. I was working for the production company that actually puts on the event and I was doing side stuff for them that they were using for other sponsors, interviewing the players for certain things. And so he was one of the players I had to spend time with and talk to a great kid, great kid. And what impressed me even more was he knew exactly what his strengths and weaknesses were. And so, you know, he knew he wasn't that time good. He knew that his agility drills weren't going to be that good. And he knew his bench wasn't going to be good. And one of the reasons his bench wasn't going to be good is his arms are about 36 inches long. And so, you know, I don't care how strong he gets. It's with his arms that long, that's going to limit him to what he's going to get up on the bench. And then I'll I'll finally say on that, your power on the football field isn't the bench press. It comes through your hips. And he's real strong through the hips. And, and, you know, you could measure that with doing squats and stuff, but there isn't any way in hell they're ever going to have, they're ever going to test kids doing squats because it's too easy to get somebody hurt. It's, and so I think I think that I mean it goes it, it goes without saying that you're somebody who thinks that the um, well do you, I mean do you like if 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 you I mean I know I know you're in a in a consultative role with a lot of teams right now and, and you still talk to these guys closely there have been a lot of numbers and analytics and stuff that have been added into some of these scouting departments I'm guessing that you're somebody who would rely much much more on on tape than on any pure numbers that come from out of these analytics departments would I be correct in in assuming that and if so like how much would you how what what percentage would you put as far as the way that you would evaluate given all the information available to you today um via you know the numbers the analytics different services you can buy them from for you know stuff rates and force missed tackles and everything you get from like the sports info solutions the pro football focuses the different people like that how much of that would you put into consideration versus just what your eyeballs you know subjectively see based on your expertise and your being able to go back 30 years comparing these uh comparing these players to others that that you've uh, scouted and, and and been able to evaluate what is the split or the opposite. Well, split. First, I, I'll say this: an, uh, analytics are as good as the people 
inputting the information? Who's inputting the information? You follow what I'm saying? Sure. So now you can take the raw numbers, and there's stuff. There's something like with quarterbacks, running backs, stuff like that, where you can take some stuff, and I'll just make it up. Like, okay, these are his third and between seven and ten, you know, statistics to the right, to the left, to the middle, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, mm-hmm. so you, you, you can find out certain areas where he's been proficient, where he has, where he's been weak on certain types of throws during certain parts of, of the game, you know, and, and those are all excellent. Same with a running back. Okay. When he's running the right between the tackles, his average per carry is yada, yada, yada. Okay. And, and, and some of that stuff is good. Where I disagree with people like pro football focus or whatever is when they try to grade a player. I think those things are totally useless because number one, now if you have, and, and what team and teams do use some of their stuff, but when they're grading, evaluating a player and using that, they're using their coaches to input that information, you know, day after a game, every you know, game's played on Sunday. First thing coaches do on Monday, each position coach is grade every single play of every one of his players in his position groups. And you have that information. Now you use that information to come up with a statistical or analytical analysis of the player. That's 100% accurate because that coach knows what that player was supposed to do on a given play based on what was called on the offense, what was called on. Right. Okay. So, a guy working for, and I don't want to pick up, pick on pro football focus, but you use the name, so I'll use it. But just for the lack of an argument, how does that guy know exactly what that player is supposed to be doing? His assignment. He's guessing. Sure. No. Yeah. And so, yeah, right. Oh, I I completely understand that argument for, for sure. You know, so that's why it's not totally accurate, and they don't grade every single play. You know, and, and they have parameters for you know, certain positions while running back, he's supposed to get X amount of yards. So, you know, if he's within that criteria, then he's, you know what I mean? So they're, they're, they're really going heavy on the, the plus run or the minus run, not the average run, if you follow what I'm saying. And then, you know, do they take into consideration where a coach always takes into consideration effort and, you know, effort and hustle. Is he chasing after the ball? Is he pursuing the ball? Well, you know, a lot of times a guy might not rack up a big number of tackles, a defensive player, but part of it might be because they're avoiding him. You know, they're trying to, they're going to the other side of the field because that guy's good. But so you got to take all that stuff into consideration when doing an evaluation of a player. You know, maybe, you know, you're looking at a college corner and he gets thrown to two or three times a game because they're trying to avoid him. So, you know, how do you realistically uh, evaluate the guy? Well, you got to look at every damn play, and be, and if they're not being picked on, you got to look at a lot of tape. You can't look at three games or four games and say you know that player. You got to look at twelve. Maybe you got to go back to the year before and look at five or six more games, so you can really get a good idea of exactly how that guy plays. And it it can change. It can change from player to player. You know, offensive to defensive linemen sometimes are easy because they're involved in every single play. You know, so you might not have to. When you start seeing the same thing game after game after game after game, it's like, okay, I got it. I know this guy. You know, and it's not going to change. And But, you know, in other positions, you got to look. And then you got to look wide receivers. In, in you know some of them are in this in these spread offenses where their route trees like three routes, right. and so you know how are you supposed to compare that guy to a guy that's running an eight route tree, and what and so now intelligence comes in and and, and that's why you have some of these interviews and, and testing because you want to find out okay what's the player capable of picking up 
and retaining and take it out on the practice field and doing it without making mistakes? Or is he a rep guy that's got to do it over and over and over again? And a lot of that stuff comes into uh, the evaluation part. And just looking at the film isn't going to give you the answer. You got to talk to a lot of people who've been around the player and you got to hope that the people you're talking to give you straight answers. And you find, and, and, and that's where experience helps because you find that out. You know, if you got an area scout going into a school year after year after year, he knows who's telling them the truth and who's giving them a line, you know, giving them the company line. So you, you bypass the guy who gives you the company line, you go to the people who will tell you the truth. Well, and, and that brings up an interesting point. And, and before I get to, like, I, I just want to ask you about a few of these running back and wide receiver prospects. But as long as I have you, I'd just like to ask about this because you've been in these rooms, you've had these discussions, you've interviewed these players, you've had to grapple probably with some tough decisions about players' um, personalities or red flags or any of that stuff. Like, what do you make recently of the stuff about, like, you know, Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, um, these players that have been that you know came in with I guess Kareem Hunt didn't really come in with the red flags, but of course the video service like that you know his second chance with the Cleveland Browns, uh, Tyreek Hill. How how do you see this sort of stuff playing out and evolving? And is it is it kind of different now in this age where everybody has a camera on their cell phone? Where is is like has has that stuff all changed now as far as character? Do you, do you have to be more care, careful about it in today's league? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, go back and, and you know, when they started in the league in the 80s and, and you had uh, guys coming up, Brett Favre, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, uh, some of those guys, hell, they may have been undraftable if we had cell phones with cameras on them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are, those are some crazy dudes, but, you know, that was life then, and this is life now. So, you know, it, it, it's a different world. And I'm not, you know, I'm just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall here, making things up. We didn't have any idea about stuff back then as we do now. I mean, yeah, you had arrest records and stuff, but, you know, some other stuff you didn't know. You know, as far as, you know, the situation with Kareem Hunt, you know, as far as I know, well, he was at Toledo, he was pretty clean, you know, so what was there to go on? You know, the Kansas city took him in the second round. Um, but then, you know, having worked with Andy Reed for a year and, and then, and knowing John Dorsey since 1991, I think, you know, you'll learn how different people react and you can look at their great tight end, Kelsey, uh, at, at Kansas city you know, the coaches of Cincinnati weren't exactly jumping up and down on the table for him when he came out. You know, he had some issues. But, uh, on, uh, you know, to uh, Andy Reid's credit, number one, he had his brother. And his brother was a little bit of a wild man, too, when he was at Cincinnati. But he knew how the brother was. He knew a lot about the kid. And he took the kid, where I know for a fact other teams had Kelsey right off the board because of what you're being told by the people at Cincinnati, you know, some of the issues. So it's doing your research, finding out exactly what the issues are, and then making a determination. Do I want this guy or not? And if I want him, and there's stuff that maybe we know about, but the general public doesn't know, and after the draft, it's going to come out, are we going to be able to live with the embarrassment that's going to be, you know, thrown in our face and you prepare that. That's what meetings are for, you know, in April, when we start, most teams, you know, put their boards together in April, all this stuff out now, somebody says, Oh, uh, you know, New York. And I'm just making up the thing. New York just got so-and-so Raiders, the fifth best player. Bullshit. <laughs> they haven't put their board together yet. Okay? They haven't rated anywhere. And, and they won't for another three weeks or two and a half weeks. And so it, it's, it's part of the process. And you're still in the information gathering process right now. Pro days are still going on. You still got people doing background checks on, on players. And until you get all the information in, then you, you put your board together. And so, 
and, and, and with each player, you know, again, Tyree Kill, he had an incident that wasn't a very pleasant one when he was in, in college. There's probably a lot of teams that said, no, we're going to pass. Kansas City took them. That's the way Andy is. Andy will give somebody a second chance. Now, knowing Andy the way I do, you know, I'm going to say if, if this turns out to be, you know, that he was involved in this kid breaking his arm, I, I would almost guarantee that he is not going to be a Kansas City Chief next next season, you know, because that's the way Andy is. You know, he'll he'll go with you, but don't screw him. I wonder if he'd be on it. I wonder if he if he'll be a member of any team next season if any definitive evidence comes. Well, out. no. I mean, if he get no. If he, if, well, I mean, if it comes out, he, he, I mean, it, it, again, I'm, I'm throwing a dart at the wall here because who knows what the truth is? The yeah, truth has sure. not come out yet. Has not. So, but being that there's a child with a broken bone. And if and if Hill was involved with that bone breaking, yeah, he ain't gonna be in the league next year. I can tell you that right now. Um, whether he is sometime in the future, I think that remains to be seen. And also, you know, what are the actual facts? Well, a couple of guys who are going to be in the league uh, next year, this this incoming class of rookie running backs. I'll just, I'll be interested to hear from you, Greg. Do you? Are you having as much trouble as I'm having as you kind of continue to watch these guys and sort of look at their look at their college production and their numbers from the combine and then just kind of grading the film and doing everything that you do, coming up with a consensus guy out of – I mean, it's like you, there's just so much to like about, um, about you know, it seems like a lot of the big, big media uh, guys like Daniel Jeremiah and the people at NFL Network really love Josh Jacobs from Alabama – David Montgomery is a player that a lot of uh, folks talk about as being uh, very good, certainly somebody who I have admired over the course of the last couple seasons living here in Big 12 territory. Miles Sanders is a guy that just tested so explosively, and you go back to watch his tape, that guy's actually got a – that guy's actually got some juice. And then there's these guys like the Daryl Hendersons and the, you know, the smaller guys like the Justice Hills. And the, uh, it's just really hard to sort of stack up the running back class this year. Have you had the same sort of troubles? And is there, and is there anyone that's sort of sticking out to you at the very top? Well, I, I, I got Sanders as the best guy. Oh, okay. You know, I qualified it by saying it's not his fault he played behind Saquon Barkley. Sure. And it's not. I mean, that's a circumstance. Um, had he, he, you know, Barkley's not there. He's the lead back last year and this year. So he got his opportunity, played last year, and then he had some decent numbers with the Mountie Quay. But I thought that, you know, what he did this year was pretty good. And then when you look at the numbers, he's very, very athletic. Then you can look and you can turn what some people might want to use as a weak point into a strong point, and that is, well, the weak point is he didn't play, you know, because Barkley wasn't there. The strong point is there's nowhere on those tires. Sure. No, yeah. This, I, this guy's playing. He, he got a lot more carries left in him than the average back who's been, you know, carried the ball 300 times a year during the course of his college career. So, you know, there, there's things like that. Uh, but the class as a whole, I don't, you know, it would not shock me if no running back goes in the first round. If there is, I think it's late, the late part of the first. Uh, I don't think there's a special back. I think there's good backs, and there's guys who are going to be good pros. And then part of it is you've got to be – some of these guys are smaller, but they fit some schemes better than others, and that's what you're looking for. Running backs are hard to evaluate because, number one, what they're looking at in college and what they are going to see in the NFL are two different things. You know, a hole in the NFL is two feet wide if you're lucky sometimes, where oftentimes in college, you know, you, you, you can drive a Drunk, semi through a hole, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and, you know, so it's, it's like, oh, wow, he had a 50-yard run. Yeah, but nobody touched him. There's nobody there, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. so he had a free reign for 50 yards. So it's like, to me, when I look at running backs, it's, what do they do when there's nothing there, and can they create between the tackles? Because if you can't run between the tackles, you can't play in the NFL. Because that's where most of the running plays happen. And, you know, you can take space guys that look exciting, and I'll give you one, and he turned out to be busted. I thought he was, I thought he was going to be terrible in the NFL. Is that 
came out of San Diego State, the Eagles, and the Eagles don't make many mistakes. Uh, Pomfrey, or whatever his name was a couple years ago. Well, and, and, yeah, and, okay. and that was my cautionary word for, for Rashad Penny, as he came from that same system that made Danelle Pumphrey look so good. But he came from that same system, but he was a different kind of back. Sm- so much smaller, right. Okay, you know, Pumphrey's a real small guy where the other guy's big right. and, and, and powerful. But the other guy, if you look at the tape real closely, what's he do after contact? And, and again, that's the key with me. What do they do when there's no hole? What do they do after contact? Do they go down with the first guy? Do they easily go down? Or can they move the pile a little bit? Uh, are they getting, do they go forward or get knocked back? Those, are they instinctive guys that can, you know, find a, a, a little bit of a scene when there's nothing there? Uh, you know, the quick footedness in a tight spot. And, and it's not speed necessarily with running backs. I, you know, you mentioned Montgomery. I like Montgomery. Didn't time fast. I'm, I'm anxious to see what he does at the Iowa State Pro Day, if there's any improvement. But he plays fast, and he has a number of big plays in the Big 12. Now, granted, the Big 12 doesn't play that good, but he still has a number of big plays. He catches the ball well. He's got a burst. I think he's been pretty damn good pro back based on what I've seen. He's got, you know, he can make something out of nothing. Well, there's other guys, you know, um, I could care less about, but a, a guy I like a lot is, is the kid from Memphis. I, I think he's exciting, but he's got to be in the right offense. Henderson. You know, you put him in, in yes, you put Henderson in, in Kansas City, Chicago, or Philadelphia, they're going to put up some big numbers because that's the kind of back they're looking for within that scheme and he catches the ball really well how much do you um how much do you weigh in their ability to receive in today's game you have to it's a big part of the game were you there whenever they drafted matt forte yeah i drafted matt okay so all right so then with him you saw the ability to receive like that that's clearly been a big part of what you you saw that you know it's funny i i Chris Ballard, who's now the, the GM at, at Indianapolis, he was the area scout, Southwest area scout. And he came to me, and I'm going to say November. We used to have a preliminary meeting in the first week of December and, and really try to cut down the list. And we had another meeting in uh, February right before the combine where we really pared down the list even more. And then we went with just guys, you know, that we have interest in going forward. You know, we were going to go out and work out guys that we had no interest in. It just didn't make any sense. So anyway, he came to me in November to hey, this guy at Tulane's really good and he doesn't get any we're close to the notoriety that he deserves. So started watching him and his tape was good. And he had terrible offensive line at Tulane. Uh so he you know he, you saw his ability to create tight spaces he was playing that they used a running back like the NFL uses a running back. So you could see the plays that you wanted to see. You saw his ability as a receiver. Uh, and then he goes to the senior bowl. He has a, a good week at the senior bowl and he has a great time. He ran four, four, eight. I mean, his times, when you go look across at the 20 yard show, the three cone, the vertical, the 40 the long jump, they were all not, quite as good, but close to Adrian Peterson. Like Adrian Peterson ran four, four, three, and that ran four, four, eight, you know, and I don't remember the exact jumps and stuff, but let's say, you know, Adrian might've been two inches more on the vertical, but, you know, given the size and the speed or, or, or the size of the player, the height and the weight of the player, you know, Excellent, excellent. Like he had like a 36 inch vertical jump or something. And I don't have the exact numbers here. And Adrian might have had a 38, but, but, you know, everything was excellent. So you saw that athletically he had all the traits that could make him a good back. And then you go back and, and I used to go back and look at, okay, what were they in high school? What were they coming out of high school? Who recruited them? And you know, this guy was a two star coming out of high school. You know, he lived in Slidell, Louisiana, uh, outside of New Orleans, but not far from LSU. And LSU didn't even recruit him. He was better than any back LSU had. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he ends up going to Tulane and putting up some great numbers. 
As far as the uh, all right, so in, and I'll get you out of here on this one. Just let's just fire through quickly. Give me give me one wide receiver that you love, one wide receiver that you think is a sleeper, and one wide receiver who you think is being overrated by draft Twitter and by the media currently. Um, I I really love. I, I think the underrated guy is and Keel Harry. All right. Well, I love. He, yeah, I, he's. He's, he's not underrated you know, by I, me. I, I think love he him. Plays, they, you know, people, I remember at the comrades said, oh, we didn't think he was going to run that fast. Shoot, I thought he might even run a tad faster. You know, I, I, I really like the guy. Um, overrated a little, and I, it's not that I don't like him. I don't like his body for the position, and that's Debo Samuel. To me, he looks like a running back. And, you know, built like a running back. He's a big, thick guy. And how many of those type, body type guys turn out to be good receivers in the NFL? He could be good. Might even be a starter. I don't, you know, but I think he'd be more of a, you know, rank and file type guy who works his way into a starting position, has a decent career, but he's never going to be a great player. Um, Sleeper. I'll tell you, it could be if everything turns out from the neck up, you know, because I know, you know, we got tossed out Alistair Jazz Ferguson from Northwestern State. about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.